You gotta accentuate the positive feeling and hate the negative. Latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between. Um, this week's guest is Guilford Newman, and he's an actor, comic writer by virtue of being a comic. And we talk about a lot of really great things um, religion, uh, a positive attitude, a lot of that, and how we're going to change the world. And I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you like the show and have a little spare money, go to patreon.com, look up positive and negative, go there. Um, if you like comedy, Star Wars, and role-playing games, listen to Smuggle Buddies, my other podcast. Oh, I say my, but it's really mine and Miles and Molly's and Colby's. But anyway, check that out if you're into it. Um, and I hope you enjoy the show. Long days and pleasant nights. That's probably best. Yeah. I'm not going like... to ruin your take. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. Just so you know, I'm going to also take a drink here. I'm going to have a little, like, high tea, right? You're going to let me know when we start, right? We've started. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's Wait. what I thought, because you got a little smile on Oh, it. yeah. I got a little, like, uh, impish. Um, you're, you're Guilford. Guilford, is Newman your last name? Is that that's correct? correct, yeah. Okay, good, because that's what I've written on the, like, label it. I'm like, God, I don't want to cause There we go. But, um, that's you, yeah? That's me, Guilford, yeah. Guilford John Newman. That's so... A Scottish name. Yeah. Scottish Southern, because the Scots, when they came over, they went south, and that's actually where their southern accent comes from, is, uh-huh. a, is an adjusted southern accent, uh, Scottish accent, but, uh... That kind of makes sense. Yeah, Guilford is, is very Scottish. The... What's what's my Scottish uh, McPhersons? McPhersons. That's that's my tribe. Yeah. Uh, that I would. Guilford is very <laughs> very Scottish, but if you ever have to change your name to like Union things, which I I I wouldn't imagine you would, because Guilford Newman like seems which like, Union? Yeah, uh, like SAG after there. Oh, that yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Not coal. I don't yeah <laughs> yeah. You're gonna be a coal miner, and they make you. There's only can only be one. They have no other context. There's. To who I am, we don't know what union we're talking about. Oh, that's I guess. fair. Well, you know, I'm gonna get to that in a second. Fair, excuse you, me, I'm we, not gonna rush the thing. <laughs> but Guilford um, McPherson, <laughs> that would you would just have to don the accent the whole time, though. I would. Yeah, absolutely. Or it just looked like a fake thing. <laughs> just <laughs> like yeah, Scottish. Enter every room crying and apologize. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so you're an actor and a comedian. Yes, sir. And so, are you from the south? Um, no, I'm, well, it's, it's annoying to say, I'm three quarters southern, so okay. my dad's from Georgia, okay. born, and, born and raised, uh, many generations from LaGrange, Georgia, and my mom was a military baby uh, in the Navy, Guilford Dobbs is who I'm named after, her father, and okay. so Seattle um, is a big Navy town in the, <laughs> in the turn of the century, in the 40s and stuff, and, but that whole family's from Alabama, so basically it's, except my mom, everybody else in my entire family has been from the south. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, my sister's name is Lila Clea. Oh, jeez. So geez. it's very, very, like, we all family names, things mm-hmm. like that kind of thing, so. But I was really originally raised uh, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Oh, really? So I've been here. Yeah, my parents came up here and they met in New York, so that, they're, they're both in the arts. Yeah, That's so awesome. came here in the 70s. Yeah, what do, um, what do you, they're both in the arts, what do they do? Um, my dad's an actor, um, and my mom has been in publishing for 40 odd years, um, but they both came uh, as writers, and then have just blossomed their careers. They're all both incredibly multi-talented, so mm-hmm. they're not, like, they've never been one thing, and they also have always transitioned what their career is, which I think is really hard to do now. So I think that, I think what they were able to do of, like, transitioning kind of thing, but hyper-educated, both have multiple master's degrees. And, yeah, they're, they're brilliant. They're absolutely inspirational, yeah. 
um, I very much like uh, my mom just got her master's and my dad's pretty accomplished in this field, which is, I guess, computer management stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel kind of dumb because, like, I have a two-year acting degree. It's like, oh, good. And my sister has, like, three degrees as well. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I like playing pretend. I don't know about you. There you go. Yeah. Kevin Bacon has six degrees. Yeah, exactly. Boom. Thank you very much for ah, your time. So you're also <laughs> comedian, leave. you say? <laughs> oh, no, not with that level nope. of material. Oh, uh, no. Uh, so you, you were, how long were you raised here? The, uh, always. Always. Yeah, so no, you've I never went to, been I went anywhere. To college else. here. No, this is the farthest I've ever been from my home. <laughs> this is really some hobby shit right now. Um, but no, I was on the train for like three and a half days. Yeah, right? But for me, I live in Harlem, so I had, I like, I'm coming from. They, they, speaking of accents, they have a whole different accent when I come from. Oh, yeah, I'm like, sure. This feels uh, transcontinental, but no, that's good. No, originally, I, I always, uh, school, mm-hmm. um, everything here. So this I just is, stayed, stayed local. Yeah. yeah. This is going to kind of sound like, no, whatever. Um, what was like growing up here, like being a kid? I imagine a completely different experience. I, it was very early independence. Okay. But, um, it was, it was, uh. A nice way, like talking through middle school kind of thing. It was ninety nine cents was the cost of the subway back then. I mean, now it's two fifty, but mm-hmm. um, back then, if I had two dollars, I could go anywhere I wanted. And it really, I mean, I say I'm far from home, but I had the mentality growing up that I could travel the world for two dollars. Like mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. And so, all the time growing up, I was walking to school, like you know, taking any means of transportation to school, and then as my parents started to trust that more and this was really before stranger danger this is mm-hmm. before you know 2000 and 911 all these things were a lot of scare tactics came in it was just a lot of freedom and no one really thought twice about it so it was um for not a lot of money you could just go experience new york i was never bored as a child and so it was just really fun the only thing is that you always have these small apartments even though mm-hmm. my parents are financing it and you know we, we lived very very well in new york it still was like you have your very small space, and I always shared it with my sister kind of thing, and so going out to New York, you would like, I owned 93rd and West End, like, mm-hmm. that was my block, I owned it, and no one else could touch it, even though, you know, hundreds of other people lived there, that's what it felt like, mm-hmm. and so it was uh, really, as I've grown up, and as, I was always like, everyone I know is from New York, and then in like one year after I graduated high school, I didn't know any New Yorkers anymore, because oh. everyone comes in, mm-hmm. like, you know, everyone, New York is why I'm here, is because my parents came to the city, mm-hmm. and so it, it changed uh, drastically to be like, wow, you had to drive everywhere, and I didn't get my driver's license until I was 24, like, none of this ever needed it, kind mm-hmm. of thing, and so it was, it was a very, um, very comfortable, very unfrightened kind of safe childhood it was great but like with the risqueness of experiencing chinatown at like 12 it was so much fun like i bought like these tiny little baby turtles and my mom was like do you understand what the underground like animal trade is like and i was like oh i'm so sorry it was terrible one of them ate the other one it was oh, munchy and crunchy munchy lived and wouldn't fucking die after that well were they in before or after no but you'd think munchy munchy's night crunchy's the one that's gonna no, but he died. You'd think Crunchy would survive. You'd no, think, I I wouldn't think of that. That's Munchy totally is like eating. the turtle makes when it's eaten. Yeah, exactly. Crunch. Yeah, I'm what just I'm saying. <laughs> Crunchy, no, Crunchy went. Rest in peace. Okay. Um, you're already tapping into the deep emotional wells of <laughs> of like, this terrible is... tortoise murder. Yeah, did you have to think of that in Meisner class once to try and get you to cry? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. To it's not that Crunchy died. It's that I killed him. <laughs> 
But yeah, I've, I've never driven a car. Like, you, ever, ever. Ever. And like, I'm not even from here. So I'd imagine, like, he, why did you get your license even? Um, I, I then realized New York is not as big. It's a huge city. Yeah. But it's, yeah I wanted to go other places. Oh, that's My fair. parents had, so when they moved to New York, everything in the 70s was super sketchy. And so everything was cheap. And mm-hmm. so they were part of this huge cultural boom, boom in New York of like anything's possible they got careers earlier on than most other people and with that everyone that I grew up with had these huge penthouse apartments on Mm -hmm. Fifth Avenue because they cost $80,000 in the 70s and Mm -hmm. are now $42 million and so it's just they got the right place at the right time my dad ended up buying um, a very nice house uh, but out in uh, Reading, Connecticut uh, 50 miles outside of the city oh. and so that's really where I got to play all my sports and we would commute out there every weekend it was only an hour drive out there mm-hmm. um, but I really I had the woods and I was a boy scout and I had a very different compared to the other city urban kids I could light a fire with my shoelaces and things like that <laughs> so it was, I had a very well-rounded um, kind of upbringing of understanding the suburbs and choosing against it mm-hmm. uh, for me and so in high school I, I stopped going there but um my dad replicated it's the house on this seven acre lake. It's just beautiful out in Connecticut. Um, he that's the house he grew up in as a kid, and so my mom will never let him forget that instead of buying this eighty thousand dollar or putting a payment down on a, a penthouse apartment on Fifth mm-hmm. Avenue, he went out to like this small town in Connecticut. Good, so, yeah. And so it's they you know just the people just stopped working and have sold their apartments, and that's their like triple quadruple times of retirement money right mm-hmm. there. But uh, so it's. Yeah, that's why we had a. We've always rented in New York. We've never owned yeah. property in New York, but that's their. They own that property in Connecticut, and that's a bit. That's a big thing for my parents. I think it's like that generation of like owning land is like. Oh yeah. Your voting rights and, and everything <laughs> yeah. like that. So it's. I I never. I did get that experience, but it's always renting in New York. We mm-hmm. moved apartments two or three times, um, kind of thing. So, it was always, but it was localized. My my mm-hmm. world was in the, bi-state area, I guess. But. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um. I always reckon, like, the first thing I'm going to do after I pay off my student loans, if I get any sort of consistent good acting work, is buy property. Because, like, um, I was living in Minneapolis, and one of my friends, he said, "Uh, you know, it's great to be a full-time artist here. I'm like, yeah, well, your parents bought you a condo when you were 19. So you don't have to worry about that problem. It is hard for everyone else who doesn't, like, who has to live month to month. Um, and I feel like that translates very much to here as well. Like, the minute you get rid of, I guess you still have a mortgage or whatever. But right. Like, you get rid of that insecurity of, like, do I have a place to live? Am I making rent? And so Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah there's, that's a level of security that I don't know I'll ever have. I, I definitely, at least, I, I guess what your question was kind of getting at was, mm-hmm. I, I don't need that. Yeah. I personally do not feel the need to put a mark down in the earth of... of ownership and things like that i just i i feel like i'm always evolving i'm and and am and in flux mm-hmm. of like i'll move like mm-hmm. I, I walk down the street and i have a memory in every block in manhattan and it's like oh i lived there once and oh mm-hmm. i had that was my first kiss and it, that's the mm-hmm. way i see new york it's not i mean west end and 93rd street that's mm-hmm. my street but other than that i don't have ownership of anywhere i mean mm-hmm. that's it is it is everybody's and mine at the same time yeah, that is, I think, the truly wonderful thing about New Absolutely. York is, like, every it is everyone's city, whereas, uh, we, yeah, I've uh, lived other places that that's not the case. You can, like, right. there's this weird sort of pseudo-ownership that a certain clump of people have. 
What was fascinating about Minneapolis was, like, it's still very, very segregated. But, like, they don't mean to. Like, it's kind of, like, in the same way, like, there are neighborhoods. You know, like, there's Chinatown Little Italy. Um, But, like, there's uh, the place I was living most of the time was in St. Louis Park, which is just, that's where all the Jewish people are. Just, like, 98% of all Jewish people in Minneapolis. And it was kind of a weird, so you kind of felt, like, if you weren't in that group, you didn't have ownership of it place you were living right right absolutely i did i just learned this that queens has the highest population of turkish people outside of turkey fascinating in the world wow in queens new york (laughs) what yeah what let's go to queens like what why would you i don't you guys know the trains are terrible yeah they're awful they're awful um, I had to do a, I did a Shakespeare in the Park there. Like, the show was really great, but, like, we were performing in a park in Queens, and, like, specifically getting there from here, having to go into the city and mm-hmm. then back out mm-hmm. and then walk, like, what felt like three miles, which was probably six blocks just to get to the park was right. with a banjo this whole time. There we go. And my costume. It was just like, ugh, do I, is it worth it? I guess, yes. You ain't heavy because you my banjo. I don't even know what the <laughs> reference that is. I don't. No, either. I don't even know what the reference that is. <laughs> Crushing it. Um, when did you start doing acting and all that stuff? I assume it was like in the house because your dad's an actor. Very much so. so. And I, I, I think I had a, a fairly unique um, entrance into, I, I would say I was shown comedy for comedy's sake very early on. Um, my dad sat me down and, and he, I mean, he sat me down and we watched every Buster Keaton, every mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy, and he would pause the movie and go, why was that funny? Huh. And he would ask me these things, and I, I had such an analytical approach to comedy very early on that mm-hmm. I would start looking at a staircase and go, where's the bit? And so it became incredibly physical to me because this was well before I had any ability to communicate what I was thinking, I could physicalize it. And mm-hmm. that was much easier, and I was, I was always this, like... I, I only I grew six inches in high school, my junior year of high school, so mm-hmm. I was a very late bloomer, but I was always this like lanky, scrawny kid and could get some comedy out of that. And um, I think it really flourished when I rode a unicycle to school for six years. Fuck and off. yeah, I didn't That's... talk to a woman until 2007. <laughs> and so... Which um, ironically is after you started riding a unicycle. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I need to talk to some some people about why that would be that way. I, I would think, hey, ladies, look at my center of gravity. Yeah. Um, uh, my self-awareness is amazing. Check it out. Um, it's really easy. You can give, like, double pistols hello on a unicycle. You're not Sup. encumbered. Yeah, multiple high fives. You, and if you moon. also know magic, you can pull out a bouquet <laughs> while you're on the bouquet. unicycle. Yeah. Um, ended up being able to juggle and play trumpet at the same time on a unicycle, which is fun. That's- so I was a very, very... Um, self-motivated kid and Mm -hmm. I was really into solo sports at the time because I think there were a lot of things where a lot of kids are trying to be really cool at least that's how I felt growing up and there was all this huge bluff going on of like but you're not at like you you don't care but you really care about that like that bothered me so much as a kid because I was a very emotional kid and so I would I would you know get the neighbors coming up and telling me to stop juggling at like four in the morning when I was in sixth grade kind of thing I was really interested in about uh, developing either like an act or developing uh, a craft of, mm-hmm. of pushing myself. And I loved the 
uh, the leaps and bounds I would make by myself. Like, I didn't need anybody else. I didn't need kids at the time that were going, like, that's stupid. And it's like, but I totally disagree with you. Yeah. And when I disagreed, I'm, I'm proud of myself as a kid, um, as socially uncomfortable as I was and how much anxiety I had to those social things. But I was never incum- like I was never held back mm-hmm. by people not liking what I was doing because mm-hmm. I believed in it, and so I was great friends with adults and teachers and things like of course because I was I was very very polite, but I also was still doing what I liked to do, so mm-hmm. I was good natured and and so taking that um, I would say it was like bullying. Um, now that I look back, it really wasn't as bad as as I know a lot of people's experiences are, but to me it, it hurt like crazy, oh, yeah. and so with that. Um, I found a way to like move around that, and I know that's very many comedians' mm-hmm. um, entrance into comedy. But I just found a way of like someone would call you like a doofus, and they go like, "I know what I am, but what are you?" Yeah. They go like, "You're a doofus." Yeah, but I know what I am, but what are yeah. you? And he'd be like, "Stop, that's not funny." I'm like, "Okay, but I know what I am." And, and you just do it, and it would like they would because you're not like hurt by it. Yeah. And they would they you know, they would get tired and that was basically <laughs> that was basically the, the route around it. But yeah. I, I think I, I I like who I am for the most part here because I got into it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um I know I know I emphasized on bullying, but it like it really has always been such a self serving, um, joyous thing for mm-hmm. me to to create and, and to follow that. And so after high school I actually traveled with the Big Apple Circus. Um, a fantastic New York in- institution, which is actually, if you go to BigAppleCircus.org yeah. and donate, they are actually, they're not for profit, but they are mm-hmm. struggling right now financially. Um, but I traveled with them that summer out of high school, and so it was really cool to like come around and people were like, oh, he was that kid that unicycled. It's like, oh, but he actually did something. something and yeah. so that was a really nice kind of like bookend to mm-hmm. well, how, how motivated I've always been on this. But Of course. Um, I had a fake ID when I was 14. Mm-hmm. I looked like a zygote. Um, I was just, I was a, barely a fertilized egg walking uh-huh. uh, 14-year-old, but I would go to the Norican and a bunch of different uh, open mic uh, mm-hmm. poetry slams, and I did well. I made like 2,000 bucks, like my seventh and eighth grade, uh, and I had a lot of money at the time, but I was called the kid, and I came up <laughs> doing uh, slam poetry, and I got very comfortable being one-on-one with a microphone. Yeah. And so I, I really worked the muscle of being able to read an audience and things like mm-hmm. that. So that naturally transitioned into stand-up. Of course. And um, being able to... And again, that made a lot of sense to me to work alone. I just didn't have other people that were as motivated or, or wanted those things. And again, that's my upbringing as my family nurturing these things. Of like mm-hmm. so appreciating it. And then going to a friend's house and they're all, they all have business degrees and they don't know how to smile with each other. And I was like, this is a very <laughs> different household. This mm-hmm. is... I always fit in with my family. Yeah. I didn't fit in anywhere else. And which is, I think, sometimes a very, very different experience for other people is that they don't get their family, they're, they're different, mm-hmm. then they go out and find it. I was mm-hmm. the exact opposite. I, I was very uh, welcomed and, and I flourished at home mm-hmm. and just support and things like that. So that helped a lot, having fam- family in the arts. Yeah, I very much uh, feel you. Every single person, I guess my, my father, really not so much, but like um, my mother and my two sisters are all artists in some way or another. And it was, um, I was homeschooled. So like, you kind of had to get along with your family <laughs> because they were the only people you got to see. Right. So, um, so I totally feel you on that. And what I find more and more specifically talking, like artists in general, I feel like, but I specifically stand-ups are the most isolated human beings on the planet and 
a lot of it is just trying to get to a point where you are comfortable being alone and that's I think a really hard thing for a lot of folks because the voice like a lot of specifically like really neurotic people like the voice is so loud when they're alone whereas if you're right. like engaged with other people um, and that's I think a driving force behind specifically stand-up comedians and then um, with like acting and what's weird um, about the difference between like uh, theater and film like the, the theater like it becomes a family and you get to know each other really really well and so there's that warmth and companionship whereas I, I find like on a film set every it's a job like everyone's right. just trying to do this other thing that's greater whereas with theater it's more I don't know it feels more um, like you are connecting deeply. collaboration yeah. in a different way I think yeah exactly um, and to leapfrogging from that, do you do more, do you tend to go for more film, or do you like working with others? Or? Um, theater at stage is definitely mm. my background. I mean, that yeah. was, I mean, small rooms, things like that mm. is where I started, and um, the intimacy there. Because mm -hmm. when, I, when I can step in, I, I feel like a great talent of mine is stepping in and, and reading a room. Mm -hmm. That's something yeah. that I've developed, you know, for really 15 years of, wow. um, of, going in and saying like how how what are they feeling um what are they doing and so um last summer i i was flown out to ireland to open for a guy um john mcpherson or john mclean excuse me i almost said my family name um but i Bruce developed Williams. myself to be an opener mm -hmm. I, I i i think a, a huge thing in any of the arts is one to understand your limitations oh, yeah. i enjoy this but is that my best foot forward because mm -hmm. there is the professional side of it and so with that, I found that I could go in, I could feel a room and go, this is how to get them primed. Yeah. And then that's what I'm good at. Way more than the closing joke that will make you laugh for 10 years. I don't know if I necessarily have that, but I can make you arms crossed, sitting back, make me laugh to ready for that guy that's going to do that for you. And so by developing that and working on that for like five or six years, I was able to be someone people wanted to work with where, hey, come open for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I've gotten work. That's how I developed making some money uh, on stand-up of finding out what I'm good at and really what makes me happy is like, mm -hmm. wow, I got that crowd going. Like yeah. That's way more satisfying than the joke that is, is something you tell a thousand times. Like here, it's like every single time, even if it's the same joke, you're saying it so differently because that crowd mm -hmm. is different. Yep. One person removed and another person added, it makes a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. And so I really, really love that. Um, so... With film, um, I work a lot. I have a, a YouTube channel um, called Review For You. I can plug that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, on YouTube. And uh, it's me working by myself, but it's comedic reviews of everyday objects because okay. I was getting kind of tired of writing stand-up, mm -hmm. and I was like, "How? what could I write about like bananas? And so I, <laughs> I sat down and I was like, what if I came at it from the perspective of, one, nobody cares what my opinion on banana is. <laughs> like, I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Like, what's Gil's opinion yeah, on, the, on a banana? It's like, dude, but it's not, it's not from the perspective of, like, does he like bananas? It's like, no, the overall <laughs> theme I, of bananas. An idea of and a so banana. so then I was like, okay, yeah. review show, that's an environment, that's a, a format people are going to get used to or are already very used to. And so I was like, these are going to be big. Yeah, his bananas are going to blow up. And it's like, I was like, that's great. That's the perspective, because I love playing the idiot. Oh, yeah. And it was like, these are going to be big, big for people who love to put stuff in their hats. Uh, it's just great. It's, it's, I love a good hand fruit. Like, it's just like random stuff like that. Where it's, so I just go around, and I've just picked things that I can buy in large quantities mm -hmm. for 
low amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And again, it's one-on-one. So mm-hmm. it's a camera with me at a desk working all bit-based. It's mm-hmm. quickly edited. Um, and it's the new outlet. But with that, what I'm deeply missing is any kind of response. Because I don't care mm-hmm. about viewers, but how else am I supposed to know? Yeah. And so that disconnect, I don't know if I'll ever get... I, Yaya's is the terrible way to phrase that, but okay. like ever get jazzed by making an internet video. Yeah. I just, I feel that disconnect. I'm motivated to do it because I like creating content, but mm-hmm. it's really, it's so... You, you start wanting the things that you never cared about because it's on the internet and it's anonymous and it's it's a click and it's all these fake stupid things mm. when I would so rather make something and then just go around to my friends and say, hey, watch this and sit yeah. next to them. Like, that's so much more satisfying mm-hmm. to me. Not even to check that it's funny, but because I want to share that with people like yeah. that. And so being on stage, being present, hearing applause and hearing response, things like that, that's, that's the dream. That's the goal kind yeah. of thing, but... And I also feel like um, comedy specifically, but I think all arts, but comedy specifically is so much about sharing because it is this moment of like... You'd hope it is. Yeah. And to make someone laugh is in a weird way an incredibly intimate thing because you just, you hit that um, pleasure center in the brain a lot and like it's... So to not get to see that you actually succeeded is it's really... It's like if you're fucking but the person has, like, a cheat over them. So you have right. no idea how good you're doing, right. but you, you, it's good for you, right. but you don't know about the other person. And that's the most important <laughs> part, I would argue, right. is, right. like, listening and responding to your partner. And it's the same thing with comedy. It's like, are we, are we good? Are we good here? Right, and you also, there are, for anybody that says, like, a joke is funny anywhere, it's like, no, no. first of all. The context means a whole hell of a lot. And two, maybe watch my videos with your pants on. Not to say you're nude, but I'm just mean like maybe you on a subway mm-hmm. watching a like an SD version of this YouTube video. Mm-hmm. That's not the best way to watch it. No. Like, and I want to be able to prescribe to you how to watch it mm-hmm. because when you go off and you're distracted or something, you're not going to get anything out of it. That yeah. you have to expect that the person that created this, and you can see when they don't have the ability to create something of a higher caliber but that you expect that I have a point to be made here. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason that this is funny or I'm calling it comedy. You have to go and search out what's funny. Mm-hmm. But people that sit there with their arms crossed and go make me laugh, yeah. that's never how comedies work, no. ever. You never go into something and saying, like, I'm, you convince me this is funny. Yeah. If you go through the world and say, make me happy, mm-hmm. you have to go search these things. Yeah. That's up to you. And so when there's a lazy audience, that's what I've always talked about on stage when I find an audience that won't turn, is to just rip them apart. I get so mm-hmm. passionate about you assholes that you would <laughs> sit there with your own money on yeah. the table and not approach the world from a joyous perspective, especially when we call this a comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's so insane to me. The, but also laughter. The one thing I wanted to say was yeah, that sure. um, physiologically, laughter is surprise in a safe environment. Yeah. That it is the exact physiological response to be surprised, but instead of crying, which is laughter, it's the same mm-hmm. baseline reptilian brain cooing, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just a different vocal pattern with safety. Mm-hmm. That's why we have laugh tracks. Because it prompts you to go, I'm in a safe environment where we're all doing it. Because a joke, if you've heard a joke, it's not funny anymore. And it's you know the surprise. And mm-hmm. so it's not the same again. And so that's why punchline jokes work. Because that's the epitome of surprise. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So you want this safety. You want this. And you can break that by being in your underwear. That by 
by going and make me laugh. All these things. You you can be a bad audience. You absolutely can. So that's why the internet kind of bugs me. But. Yeah. Um, when Craig Ferguson started uh, doing the Late Late Show, um, someone, I can't remember who it was, um, just took him aside and was like, They're, you're going to have to ask them to forgive you for trying to make them laugh, essentially. Yeah. Which is yeah. incredibly annoying. And oh, by the way, I've listened to a handful of other episodes. If you don't quote, quote Mark Maron at least six times... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I time. love Maron, man. There we go. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Um, well, don't. don't yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, gonna, I'm just trying to think of the most obtuse thing. Sure. Is, uh, is Jesus a fast zombie or a slow zombie? There you go. Um, that's the one... Also, thank you for listening to him. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it is. I've always, I've never understood that attitude of like specifically. I've run into a lot of comedians that are like unwilling to play and riff and have a good time. Right. Where I'm like, this is the thing you want to do for your your career. Why wouldn't you want to do it all the time? Right. And that really bothers me because it's like hitting a wall, and it's. Uh, it's and that's when, like, when I go to open mics, I'm the loudest laugher there because I'm like, we are all here to try and do this thing that's bigger than ourselves, which right. is to bring more joy into the world. Um, because really, I mean, it's a, in essence, it's a deep commodity. It's mm-hmm. only appreciated for its own sake. It does not feed us. It does not mm-hmm. make us safer in any way. Yeah. It, it is to you and to the performer to collaborate, to mm-hmm. work together. And then with that, you can always tell when someone's gone about comedy. There are people that are very dark that are funny. They yeah. can break the mold, or I guess the thesis that we have going here. But yeah. with that, you can tell when someone's not coming from the right perspective of make me happy first. Mm-hmm. Make I, the, What I'm doing has to be enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. And I swear that will extend to an audience. Because you mm-hmm. can tell when someone's enjoying what they're saying. Any mm-hmm. comedian, for the most part, with a special of any kind of network has that joy with they're proud and they're happy and they're excited to share that. Yeah. That's those are the people. That's really the specialness. It's always also kind of bothered me with art in general where you go and you show something that you've made. Like say I've wrote a poem and then I show it to my friend. And people are like, oh he's a little egotistical because he's showing me something he made. And it's like, no, it's like it's just this joy of sharing things and then also you then you tell me how your day was or you give, you know, if you're a, a pastry chef, make me a muffin, and then we can talk about the muffin. Like, it's it's just, I think if people share more, that would be better, essentially, is what I'm saying. Right. Because there is well, this... Well, what, what do you think about the, the fine line between the stupid, I just went to the gym tweet or status, compared to sharing content? And now, content is an annoying word. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like oversharing that exists oh yeah that i think all content is not created equal i think Mm -hmm. every viner is terrible (laughs) i I mean truly every single one of them if they made it if they made something that ever made you laugh sure welcome to classic joke structure yeah that that's not that's not high art it does not everything has to be high art Mm -hmm. we all love you know call me maybe Mm-hmm. It's a bubblegum song. It yeah. doesn't mean anything. It's not going to change anybody's life. But we go, ah, if it sounds good, I know the lyrics kind of mm-hmm. thing. Sure, there's not. that's not wrong. But I'm saying when you get to a place where you can be excited by your content for the real reason of what art is, mm-hmm. which is hopefully self-enjoyment, at least that's what it is for me right now, mm-hmm. that that's where they're pandering to a deep audience of like a big TNA woman like walking down the street and the guy... like. You know, it's like my side chick, like Vine videos. It's like, that's not 
that's not humor. That's not yeah. comedy. That's an observation that you're quickly editing with a shocking production value. Yes. It, 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 it is nothing. It, it does nothing for mm-hmm. anybody. They're not enjoying themselves. You can tell. You can tell the soul mm-hmm. has been sucked <laughs> out of that. It's, yeah, and it's, I think it comes from the same thing of, like, we do live in this generation of, like, um, look at me, we are sharing everything. Um, but it's, you are right, I think electronic sharing is a little, I've never been good at it. Um, I much prefer, like, what that's we're doing now. concept. Yeah. Being good at that. Oh, that's yeah, like, some people, thing. like, um, I recently downloaded Snapchat, and I kind of regret it. Um, and people are really good at it and like they have fun doing it and right. I can tell whereas I'm just like what am I I don't I'm right. like a curmudgeon and whereas like what we're doing now talking in a room just about ideas is my favorite thing to do right. um, I wish people were here to see how much we're gesturing with our hands oh yeah absolutely right. that's really it's that's the, fascinating. the only problem with the medium <laughs> lack of but you can listen to it on like what you were saying you can listen to it on a subway or um, on a bus or whatever while you're doing right. something else and I don't think a lot is lost whereas if you're watching a that. video something is um, whereas I try to design most of the podcasts that I do for knowing that they're going to be listened to while you're doing something else so it's really kind of a, a bitch editing going oh is this boring or not right but um, going back to the root question, I do every time I open up Twitter and I start to do something I'm like, does it's the does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? Does this need to be said by me right now? And I wish the world had those check yep, marks. Exactly. And, it, and it's like one of those things of like, is this actually something good? Is this something if I read it, I'd go, oh, cool. Right. If it's just like eight pizzas, like I don't give a it, right. everyone does. And then the proof of concept of that. Well, not proof of concept, not in any way referring to that, I guess, <laughs> is when someone will, like, randomly, like, I have a friend, I'm not going to call him out by name, but I have a friend who will write the stupidest stuff, mm-hmm. or, like, Bill Clinton hearts, <laughs> or, like, something that's, like, <laughs> so boring and yeah. just useless. It's like, I don't need to know your opinion on facial tissues, like, <laughs> whatever, but he'll he'll post it, yeah. he'll get, like, 150 likes, and I'm like... One, how did you solicit that level of response? Yep. Two, why? You shouldn't be earning from that. You're not doing anything. Like, that's when it totally loses me, where it's right. no longer I have a judgment on it. It's, it's I truly don't get it. Yeah. I really don't get it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think Bo Burnham has a lot of, if you hear his interviews, he is a cynical moment. Oh, yeah. He is really angry at the world. He scares me. And I so appreciate it. I mm-hmm. represent for the white male, but it's that <laughs> his self awareness on all of this mm-hmm. of, um, and he uniquely, like, just hits everything on the head. Yeah, he's, sure. He he never lets you. He's very brechting and never lets you think too much about what he's uh, feel too much about what he's doing. Yep. He always wants you to be thinking about it. Sure. Where he is saying that you are not, not everyone is content creators. And you are not equal, mm-hmm. and you don't need. We we are not all performers, yeah. and I think it's very dangerous when people like you and I, like when someone goes, "Oh, you're an actor," mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, "Oh, when are you going to be famous?" Like that is not why I'm yep. here, and I'm not. I'm not offended that you think that, mm-hmm. but that's that cannot be the reason I'm going to have a career in this. Yeah, it, it will not be the reason. I will not stay in it long enough if I have the I want to be famous because I'll be sick of it in a week when I'm not. Oh yeah, I just don't need that, and so. I think it's so, it's people, it's a job that, one, very few can really claim. It's an easy self-proclamation. And Mm -hmm. two, that 
everyone goes like, oh, like I did a lot of that in high school, kind of thing, and you're like, like God, yeah, it's I such masturbated a, a lot thing. in like, high school too. I'm that, not. You can bond on so many things. Yeah, it's too. like, ugh. what's your taint look like? Yeah, <laughs> I can't tell. Oh, yeah, it's it is a very. Why was taint on the tip of my tongue? I don't mind. know, but I also loved please it. don't pull that out of context. I'm going. I'm going sentence. to that. I quote tweet. I tweet quotes from every guest. That's gonna be yours. Is why was taint on the tip of my tongue? Why was taint? Um, it's a nice alliterated sentence, which is good. Yeah. But yeah, I do agree. Like, um, is that why we appreciate it? Oh yeah, I think that is the main reason. I was like, uh, there's, like, you said hand fruit. That was really fucking That's funny. My f- I, that might be the name of my firstborn child. <laughs> hand fruit. I was obsessed with coming up with names for my children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hazmat. Oh no. Uh, uh, nacho, um, uh, rodeo clown. I would really want you to name it, uh, first name Dingle, second name Barry. Sure, but but these are things where it's is that a is that a child in my first grade class or is that a common noun? Oh, like, I see. I really like totally things where it's like not a girl with a guy's name. It's mm-hmm. like oh my god, like mm-hmm. Gil with one L, kind of like level of like oh that's so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's what's another one? The um, biscuit. Biscuit. Or I really wanted um, uh, jet. Because you can be like, jet over here. <laughs> I don't know why I was really obsessed with that. Or my second child's name is Sibling. Sibling. <laughs> this is my sibling, Sibling. It's really helpful for the first child. Yeah. This is my sibling. <laughs> you would definitely, like, that's definitely a, a book author. Like, someone, a writer. Sibling. Like, Sibling. Yeah, but Sibling is actually, that, that's pretty name-like. Yeah. It's sibling, actually not too no, far. No. I, had, I had a whole list of kids' names. I was, like, really into. I, I was always really bad. Like, whenever I've been in a serious relationship picking up names, like, I'm like, I like the name Heathcliff. And they're like, fuck off. Can you just imagine a 32-year-old guy named Biscuit? Oh, I, I just think that's <laughs> It's not funny anymore. It's, no, it was never funny to him. He's super cynical his oh, whole life. Oh, sure. I, have you um read uh, the Silverstein's Boy Named Sue? I mean, it would be that. It would just no. be that. Exactly right. Yeah. Um. So I think going back a little bit... Um. It is, not everyone can make the pro- proclamation, oh, I'm an artist or I'm an actor. Or a thing. And I think it div- very much comes from intent. And I think there's a huge difference between entertainer, performer, and artist. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think, like, a great example is Danny Kaye is an excellent entertainer. I wouldn't necessarily, like, prescribe to him the label artist, other than, like, there is something, there is a craft to being funny. I think, totally think that. Um, but, uh, um, I think the main difference between all these things is like you were saying intent and like the artist has this thing inside them that has like i need to be generating stuff all the time and a creator i think those and i think there's also a very different like a creative person versus an artist as well because you can be very creative and and like um in regards to mathematics and science and like looking at the world a different way but i think there's something very a, a very special temperament that really lends to being a successful and also uh, integral, I'm going to use that word, artist, like full of integrity. Don't fall asleep while you're talking, just for What? You just sound like you're about to... Oh, I'm um, going uh, down. No, you just totally dropped the energy. Oh, no, no, it's... I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, But yeah, and I think that's... I didn't mean that in a mean way. Oh, no, you're fine. Um... But I do Why think... did you just miss Doubtfire talk? Oh, oh no, you're, you're fine. fine. It's fine, dear. I know you'd have it. <laughs> I yeah. knew you'd have it. Oh, oh, sure. Um, I can do the rest of them like walking if you want to do that. Um, or my favorite, John Wolfgow. Anyway, 
Um, but I think there is something very, like, and what I'm, I'm doing a real, like, a concourse segue over, we're getting from gate, B to gate, Z over here, which is, um, I think the artistic temperament also is, and this is the, the thesis of the podcast, is, like, has a lot to do with a different mental, both disorders and just temperaments in general, <laughs> agree or disagree, and why? Um, I, I think the distinctions you've made are very important of artist entertainer mm-hmm. um what was the third um entertainer performer performer um i think all three you can be all three but you but mm-hmm. one can't exist without the other i don't know it's, it's like, like a fingers and thumbs what thing, is right? a square is a rectangle a rectangle is yep. not always a square yep. that kind of thing um i think mental illness is far under talked about in the arts i i think it's uh i think it's a coping mechanism um my longtime girlfriend is art therapy um, mm, major. That's and wonderful. So it's it, there's a huge. I mean, you give you give a paintbrush to an elephant. Mm-hmm. You give a paintbrush to a prisoner. You give a paintbrush to someone with autism. I mean, it's it's a different expression. It's a beautiful outlet, and it's and so, a lot of the times. And as I I kind of touched on in the beginning, it was a lot easier for me to connect through yep. and and emote through the arts through some some kind of. Uh, structure to, to I understand that you know it's pretty simple as a comedian that you have one job you just have to be funny that's it that's the only thing and it's nice to have something so singular a lot of other things are a lot more complicated complicated now that's just singular in the end result but the process is, is deeply complicated but um, I I think uh, Matthew Perry, um, Demi Lovato has actually been hugely progressive in terms of her talking about addiction um, with artists. Uh, I'll definitely classify that with mental illness. But um, this kind of hunger for um, obsession, Mm -hmm. I I think, you'd be lacking something as an artist to not have an obsession. Because I think um, people can, you can't teach passion. Um, and also now, especially for this generation of incentive for the arts, it's mm-hmm. not money. No. It just cannot be money. Yeah. And so it has to be an obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, the fine line is, is the arts. I mean, that's really what it is, is, is the difference. And so someone can be passionate about something else, but the obsession is, is really where you get to express things and, and you're hungry for something that you can't ever get to. And that's a beautiful... There is no equation that makes it right. There is no finality to this. You are always on... To the next thing, mm-hmm. um, where where would you like to touch with mental? Oh no, like moving yeah. forward. I mean, I think it's, I, I think some of the most gifted people um, and gifted families have come from people who, who work around some yeah. kind of chip on their shoulder. Absolutely, I also think I'm um, going to talking about obsession. You have to like realize that like when I say oh I want to be an actor, that means if I succeed at my goal of being an actor, I have to do it every day. It's my job. Mm-hmm. I have to be wanting to wake up every day and going, yes, I want to create, I want to do that. And I feel like a lot of it is like instant gratification of like, I created this thing, people got gave me attention for it, and I want to just, I want the result rather than the process. Right, right. Um, and moving forward, I, um, you, you've been sober for a while, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I have. I haven't uh, touched anything illicit for a little over seven years. Wow. Um, I found out very early on that I just don't need it. Yeah? Um, I, I really have come to really like that answer. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of addictive behavior as a kid. Um, sure. What I was talking about, uh, juggling and those things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I was so um, 
No, I, I, I actually have been tested for OCD, not, mm. not for any um, really major symptoms on my yeah. end. And it would be disrespectful to say that um, I was anywhere near a self-diagnosis. Yeah. I don't have, have any qualities of that, but in terms of my ability to focus in and, you know, kind of like the worn down finger pads of mm-hmm. obsession, uh, I was so passionate. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I worked really hard at school just on the wrong things. And so we found out about Harry Houdini in fourth grade and I didn't even hand in the paper because I was off reading you know, <laughs> biographies about him. Like, I just I just didn't care to jump through the hoops that people had out for me. For sure. Um, and so with my absolute addict behavior of realizing that, one, self-medication is a very dangerous game mm-hmm. of I, I think it's important. This is also why I say, like, don't watch a video with your pants off kind of thing, like find the right context mm-hmm. is that when I feel sad, I'm allowed to feel sad. And when I'm happy, mm-hmm. I'm allowed to feel happy. And that I can't always affect those things. Yeah. And it's very important to go through the whole gambit of emotion. There is a spectrum, and it is all supposed to be felt. Yeah. There is not something... Grief counseling is never about... You know, the sense of loss is never about stop it. Yeah. It's never stop it. It's never plateau and deal with it. It is process. Mm-hmm. And that process is supposed to be felt through and through. And that's the only way you can get clarity. And we all know people who do not have clarity on good and bad emotions. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really, really important um, to, to be healthy internally first. And then that's, that's, you know, Meryl Streep has spoken extensively about it, but she was saying, you know, you have to get yourself right before you can affect anybody else. Yeah. And, and the best uh, kind of way I've ever come to describe it is, and this is the way I've described it, mm-hmm. is uh, an oxygen mask on an airplane. When they yeah. come down, they say, put yours on first before you help anybody else, because mm-hmm. I'm gonna pass out and I'm gonna be no use. Yeah. And so it's, if I have a kid, holy hell, I hope I'm a little bit more stable. But like <laughs> I'm saying, then I'll be more yeah. capable. I'm going to be able to change somebody's life, but I have to work on myself. And so that's really been my process with dealing with substance and things like that, of, of really wanting to be the best that I can be. Um, and for a while, I was definitely like a martyr for, um, your cultural understanding of addiction. I would get yeah. very, very upset at like commercials and, and how, uh, you know, kind of like rappers with glorifying drug use and things like that. And I was like, just calm down. I mean, it's, this is not, I never thought that other people should stop yeah. for my sake. Um, but it was, uh, something that ended up coming back to the right place, which is for me, doesn't work. And I, and really I, I like the phrasing of, I just don't need it. Yeah. It's really, it, it doesn't, uh, I am. I never used it as a social lubricant ever, kind of okay. thing. Um, it, that was never. I, we everyone drinks and does drugs for very different reasons. But I've always uh, tried to fill a room and be very, very present. I just thought it heightened everything. Oh. Um, and found out that it dulls. Like yeah. you feel it, but catharsis is only a feeling. Mm-hmm. It's not the reality. And so that's that's really where um, I now approach, um, the kind of really spiritually uh, mm-hmm. approach any kind of self-expression arts or work or anything of just I am present and I'm here and I feel all of this shit and it sucks most of the time I mean really you know it's Malcolm Gladwell said most things are killed slowly and ripped apart (laughs) I mean it is not a kind world for most Mm -hmm. of the earth and I am absolutely an atheist I you know I'm happy to be here and to go off and not be something else I don't but it's, you know, it's at least in terms of, like, what AA would say about, like, higher power and things mm-hmm. like that. For you to have only God be that, 
uh, seems very limiting to me. Yeah. I, I, I would think that uh, you can, you know, walk down, feel the sun on your neck, and feel pretty damn good about it for yeah. any reason. Um, two things. Uh, number one, uh, there is this thing of uh, if there is, if this is the only life we get, then this is so precious. Make every moment count and try and be good. Penn Jillette, uh, every yeah. day is an atheist holiday. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's very good. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing is that Kurt Vonnegut, his um, uncle, used to say, like, they would be they would be drinking lemonade underneath a tree in a park and, like, just, like, hanging out. And, be, and he goes, if this isn't nice, what is? Right. And it's the thing right. of, like, we don't notice when things are good because they're good and you don't think about it. And it's just this wonderful, like, relaxed thing. Whereas the minute things get hairy, you're like, oh, nothing is good and it's just the worst. Whereas, like, it's just... It's the whole, like you're saying, it's the whole spectrum, and I'm glad that you grew up in an environment where you were, like, kind of, like, allowed to just feel whatever you wanted to. I lucked out that way, too, even though there was some, like, just social shaming of, like, expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, like, I'm overly sensitive, and so when I go, this really upset me, people are like, why? Right. And that's difficult to deal with, because I'm like, and it goes both ways, um... For example, if somebody like ignores a text from me, I'm like, oh, what have I done to fuck up this relationship? Right, Which right. is eighty percent of the time untrue, right. and that that's a very generous like twenty percent of that being true. Mm -hmm. It's probably more like ninety eight. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, one of my coworkers just went like I was standing and I was just thinking about something else. She goes, "Are you okay?" And that meant the world to me because she was just like, "We could, you know." Right. And growing up with that sort of thing. Um, was very difficult because of just like men aren't supposed to feel things right and absolutely. that's kind of a difficult thing but I guess I also lucked out with the homeschool thing because I can't imagine how awful I would have been mm -hmm. if I'd been in public school and bullied and so forth but um, man I lost my train of thought oh um that never happens to me again yeah <laughs> no. um well, I, I like I like you, and I'm oh, happy good. to be here because <laughs> I want us to go anywhere. As long, as, however yeah. you'd like to structure this, it's totally up to you. But this I'm is happy by far the most self-aware. Like we're doing a podcast. Every other one is very much like it feels like like oh we're. Just you shouldn't have hit record really early and said, "Hey, let's keep this like super meta and like in the ether." Of, like we're in different continents talking to each. It's like no, I'm talking to you face to face, oh, and yeah. I love having a good conversation. Yeah. Um, I think it also, like, uh, once again, I feel like I speak 80% of the time in quotes, uh, but that's something... But you, you're a synapse person. You're, you, you, uh, network your brain very quickly, just like I do. Like, I'm thinking of referencing all the time, because mm -hmm. that's how I, I've had that experience. That, something else has said it better than I can, yep. let's use it. Yep. I, I don't see any problem in that. Yeah, and, the uh, Robert Downey Jr. said something, I think, that was very... Thank you for following up that with a quote. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm getting to it. Um, but, yeah, um, of, in regards to addiction, it's like um, the choice to say I'm doing this is the difficult part. But once you make that, it's kind of easy. It's like I decided to live my life this way. And so once you actually commit to that idea going forward, it's easier. Whereas, like, this is just part of who I am. When you kind of assimilate it that way, I've expanded on that quote because he's not, he's right. hyperverbal, but not as much as me. Right. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and I think that's something to be said as well, like, and it happens with, like, religion, or when you decide your career, or when it comes parts of sexuality, when you just kind of integrate an idea, it becomes a lot easier to go, 
no, I don't drink, or no, I don't do this sort of thing, and so forth. Well, I think, yeah, there are some inevitable truths that truths that you must get to. Yeah. Like, racism is wrong. Yeah. Like, I really hope you landed on that one. Like, I mean <laughs> it. Like, that's, there are some things that you must hold inalienable truths mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, I guess we're created equal to finish that off. But yeah. really with, um, you know, personal choices, things like that, who do I want to wake up and be today kind of important questions mm-hmm. but more than that it's i really i really do love the the metaphor and the connection between um a schrodinger's cat mm-hmm. kind of electron basis of the um the wave and particle theory that um lot really to to narrow down and for my own use explain it is that um, when they shot electrons through these windows and openings in this wall, um, they couldn't tell which uh, window it was going through until they looked. And so when they looked, they saw that the electron was there. And then when they didn't look, they couldn't prove that it was going through there or going through another window. So long story short, it was going through both windows at the same time and also neither window. And so it only existed by looking at it. Mm-hmm. So when you aren't observing mm-hmm. an electron, it is everywhere and nowhere at the same time, and that by looking at it, you make it true. Mm-hmm. And so it is infinite possibilities that you are then defining clearly by your expectation and your vision of it. Mm-hmm. And so with that, that was terribly explained, but with that <laughs> is that we are constantly in flux, mm-hmm. that I cannot say who I will be tomorrow this is why I don't get a quote tattooed on my forehead, because one will speak to me today that will not speak to me tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I pray to God that I evolve as I go. Mm-hmm. The people that piss me off more than anything in the world is like, you either take me or leave me, like, you know, fight you because it's like, like, you know, it's like, I'm Gil and I don't give a shit. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you really care. Mm-hmm. You are not one person and I hope you change. Yeah. Not because you're at a bad place, but because you have so far to go. For sure. And so it's by defining yourself as one thing, you are cutting yourself off from the possibilities of being anything else. Mm-hmm. And so all I know is that me not needing any kind of substance is that that opens up possibilities mm-hmm. for me. So it's not a definition of me. It is only a, lim- a limitless possibility of mm-hmm. me. And so I know that I achieve more, I do more without these things. And that's fantastic. Yeah. All I can hope for is potential for the rest of my life. Yeah. And so I, I think when when people are too defined about themselves or too defined about what they want, they, they cannot transition. And I think that definitely comes from my parents. They're transitioning with what they want and what they care about and what they hold most dear. That changes and should change all the time. That we talk about growth in humanity mm-hmm. so much. All the shows that talk about growth, uh, weight loss shows, intervention shows, cops shows. Oh, did they get out of jail and are they like still out of jail? Mm-hmm. Have they changed? All of these things. We want that to happen and yet we don't do anything to make it that way. Mm-hmm. We really are all about like you need, like, Tony Robbins, like, I just watched his Netflix documentary uh-huh. thing. It's like, you got to, like, make some change. It's like, one, doesn't doesn't happen in one day. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we all get stuck in those those ruts in the road because it's easy. But it, it really strikes me as so, I mean, limiting, but just very ignorant on the world that you would be. And, and that's, that's, if I have any criticism to religion, to each and to his and to her own, but um, it, it is one way. It is mm-hmm. scripture. It is the correct. It is not the answer. It cannot be the answer. Statistically, one religion is wrong because all the other ones that exist. Mm. Well, someone's got to have the right God, but it's <laughs> probably not mine. 
And I'm just saying, like, if I chose one at random, it probably wouldn't be the right God. Again, statistically, like, yeah. it just doesn't make much sense to me. If you get some faith out of it and you wake up a happier person, go for it. Yeah. But for me, to, for you to claim in any way, I don't care who it's from, how after Jesus' entrance into this world it was written, mm-hmm. that it cannot be that answer. Because the minute it is that, it, can, it ceases to be something else for somebody. Yeah. And that's just wrong. That's not the way I see the world. Yeah. The most frustrating thing in to me is the the phrase "people don't change," and this only who is that attributed to? Like everybody, people say that all the time. Like it, I've it's been said I've i it's been said about me enough that I get angry about it yeah. because like um I was a shit teenager. I was not pleasant to be around. I was angry and and scared, and because of that, made a lot of shitty choices. Right. And I'm not that person anymore. I'm completely different. It's almost when I look back, it doesn't seem like it was me. Not like because I'm disassociative or anything, right. but right. because I've changed so much. And the frustrating thing about it is when people say that they're just they're idiots because everything points to change all the time. People are generally 17 different people at the same time when they're just breathing and not doing anything and then you put them around other people and then that changes them again and it's this constant you're a constant amorphous ever flowing ever changing ever adapting thing and that's why i think darwinism is so important because that's how the world works is people just adapt and overcome but um specifically going into like arts if a character in a play does not change have some sort of revolution by the end of the play we think it's bad writing and then people have an uh, the audacity to say people don't change and that's it very much frustrates me because i think i also like your parents have this thing of like um i i change every every two weeks like i'm not i'm an inconstant inconsistent person rather um man of inconstant sorrow anyway um <laughs> but like in a year i probably won't be podcasting anymore i have no idea this right. might be just a fad that i go through well we'll see and it's and i'm okay with that because it means i'm moving on to the next thing right but that being said i think there are certain things that are cores of people and you your personality is kind of learning how to take that and express it to people and then defending it and like using defense mechanisms to like you have this person who you are and you have to defend it all the time because people disagree a lot and and it's how you deal with people disagreeing with you and um dealing with whatever is going on that i think defines whether or not you're a good person because you everyone's going through something all the time always and so people who use the excuse of like oh he's being an asshole because he's going through something I'm like well everyone's dealing with something all the time no one's happy always but absolutely I think there's something to be said when it's uh, I think most of the problems in the world are pretty much derived from someone thinking they know more or better than somebody else oh for sure and that that when you can find some peace where you're settled with your own Mm -hmm. attempt at whatever that all of this is that if you can live with that uh, I mean, and we, I, I don't know why I'm quoting anger management um, kind of thing. I said grief counseling before. Yeah. But um, with that being, um, you people can't make you do anything. Yeah. You know, it's you, you feel the way you feel. Your first thought, it, you're not held accountable for that one. That's why reading people's minds would be a terrible thing. Oh, for sure. Because my gut instinct, people can act, like policemen can actually 
go through racial training mm -hmm. and come out the other side okay. That first thought may be really wrong, but we got some good training to maybe counteract mm -hmm. that. That first thought doesn't actually mean anything. It's what you do with the action after that. That is everything. For sure. And that's actually fantastic that we aren't privy to that initial thing. Mm -hmm. And so with that, when you think that someone else is wrong for their own things, you're probably wrong yourself. You know, yeah. by forcing them to do it, that's every child parenting problem. That's oh. every world war. That is every single thing. Now, there's a middle ground because people like Hitler exist, mm -hmm. but there is something in there. There is com compromise or a conversation or being able to express oneself. Mm -hmm. When that is taken off the table, it's only pain mm -hmm. across the board in any context. And the thing, I stumbled across this um, when I first started going to school because I was I came in very early. When did you go start um, going to school? Oh, five years ago. I, when I was 18. College, okay. Yeah, college, sorry. Um, when I went to college because I was very arrogant. I've been doing theater for a few years and kind mm -hmm. of thought, I know what I'm doing. Right. I'm not really going to listen to these people. And then I made this realization of, idiot, you're paying money to learn. Learn. And then I kind of just applied that to every aspect of my life, if I can learn from someone. And that's why um, people have gone, why aren't you angry because this person treated you poorly? I'm like, well, I'm learning from, if they treat me poorly, I learn not to do that because it made me feel this way, so I'm going to act the opposite. Right. And I think taking, and it's really just kind of an attitude shift, and if you can, I know it's made me happier but if you can take it and try and make negativity into positivity it's very difficult and it's not something that it's all uh, easier said than done yeah for sure and like i'm also like i've been in therapy i'm going for, i'm going to change the world yeah i was like and i've like also i was gifted with a lot of self-awareness and then also like went into therapy recently i've been doing that for a couple of years and like all that sort of thing and that all helps when you go there's this idea of like you're there's input and then you process it and then there's output and then if you can just like deal with uh, basically it comes down to if you don't have something nice to say don't say it right that sort of thing absolutely yeah that's a good one I like I like going deep yeah I, I like going deep and respecting the other person's opinion oh yeah I think that's sure. important yeah but uh no it's 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 kind of a, I, I mentioned like being a martyr and things like that yeah. thinking like these global thoughts and it's that's too much. Yeah. You know, it's, it, 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 like, that's, it, like, your vote counts. Like, don't, don't not vote kind yeah. of thing. I, I mean that literally and figuratively, but mm -hmm. it's, like, my vote counts. Like, I can, like, if I walk out into the world and think everyone's an asshole today, everyone will be an asshole oh, yeah. today kind of thing. And so, with that, it's, like, I can, I can do a lot of good on a local level here, but that's also, I'm so happy with being on a local level. Oh, for sure. Like, and, and so it's. You, you got to bring it back to be like, yeah, I don't know if democracy is the best, but that's what we're working with. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got to make it work. Like, you, what else are you supposed to do? When people get angry, they, they I mean, I mean, truly, like, the, the answer to these, like, mass shootings is people trying to affect, or, you know, suicide bombings and things. It's, it's trying to affect the most amount of people the easiest way, yep. and it's literally also the viners. easiest way. Excuse me? Also viners. <laughs> that's what that's about, too. Honestly, I, I, I don't even want to make a joke about the difference of severity. Okay. But I think it's doing a, a lot of harm, no. finers, seriously, about <laughs> teaching a generation of what is what is. Yeah. But um, that's not a phrase. What is what is? What, what is be? what is? Uh, that depends on what your definition of is is. What is that? that? That's a Bill Clinton quote, not a good Bill Clinton impression. 
Oh, fair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fair. Um, <laughs> for sure. But it is like, and I also, I agree, local level always has been like, I, I've always said if I have a lot of money and power, I want to give it all away because that's, I think, the thing to do with money and power. Well, there's no real power. But there's, the other thing is like, I'd much influence, rather... Influence, there's a voice. It's yeah. like, come on. It's, you know, and Bo Burnham again, like to go back to him, it's mm-hmm. like, I am not your idol. No. I don't know anything more than you. And if you mm-hmm. are inspired by me... You're wrong. Go find something inspirational. I am not that person. <laughs> Me saying, like, go out there and be strong for yourself. It's like, stop. Mm-hmm. That's so stupid. That's so easy. That's such pandering. That's mm-hmm. such vapid crap. Mm-hmm. Because it's the easiest thing in the world to be like, you have to, like, if you want it, go get it. Like, every high school, college football coach. It's yeah. like, you're actually not impactful. You're just yelling. Yeah. Like you're, <laughs> you're saying the same thing. And sure, you can get the context of that right and get the situation and mm-hmm. give someone a little piece of catharsis there. And you can all feel like it was something. Take it out of context. It literally is nothing. You yeah. can impact people's emotions really easily. Again, it's very easy to make someone cry. Oh, yeah. That's why there aren't comedians that only make people cry. Because uh-huh. it's too easy. Yeah. You can always do that. It's yeah. when you play with emotions that are elective yep. kind of thing. That's You're getting somewhere. Yeah. And I've always liked the idea of local, like you were saying, local level stuff, because I think that's... Like a comptroller. Yes. Um, It's, uh, I think, because I think that's more lasting anyway. Because, like, there is this thing of, like... No. (laughs) Like, local level stuff of, like, yes, in a way, if I make a bunch of movies, a lot of people have seen it. That's a, a legacy. But if you're just a good, kind person, people will remember you and remember you as a good thing. And that's, I think more important and a better legacy to do. I think that's why a lot of people settle down why and have kids. Why do you want to be remembered, though? Because, uh, like, if there's I mean, nothing... It's so self-serving. Yeah, totally. I, I just... I, I, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd like... I'm so happy. One, as a white male, like... Oh, I'm, yeah. What Louis C.K. says, I'd be yeah. fine anywhere. But, like, with that, it's like, I'm just so happy I wasn't born 200 years ago where it was, oh, like, yeah. 13 kids and hope two of them make it kind of yeah. thing. It's like, gee, man, I'm so lucky to be here... And not have communicable diseases, like, for sure. done. Like, I'm just happy to be here. I don't need a pyramid. Like, really, like, I think all of that is just hilarious to me. It's like, I really don't need to have rocked the planet. And it's not the fact, say that I don't want impact. Yeah. I want to touch the people that I can, I can impact. But mm-hmm. it's that for me to be remembered, one, my stupid internet crap will never go away whether I want it to or not. <laughs> you, have, you are forever no matter what. Yeah. But it's also like in the scope of things, man. It's like millions of years before, millions of years after. You okay. really don't matter that much. I don't matter that much. The human race will not see the sun die. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it, we that is one of the safest bets mm-hmm. ever. I mean, that's just a, pretty much yeah. a fact. Yeah. There is some... Obviously, some plus and minus, you know, uh, odds that being wrong kind of thing. But but it's like you know, yeah. it's go. It's like so. It's like that's ends back to comedy. It's like mm-hmm. laugh right now. Yeah. You know, you got today. This is all you've got. Mm-hmm. You can't make it go faster. You can't make it go slower. Mm-hmm. Done. Like yeah. just be super present with it. That's it's always better. For okay. the most part, that's except prison sentences. It is a gift, and that is why it's called a pr- the present. Kung Fu Panda. Don't quote Kung Fu Panda. No, okay, I'm going to get into this. And that's not from Kung Fu Panda. No, it's not, but that's where I first heard it. Okay. Okay. That is a quote to you. Yeah, that is. Just stop quoting Kung Fu Panda. Skadoosh. 
Next. <laughs> I think I think we're good. If you don't mind. I think we're good with it. Like it's been about an hour. You good? You sure. happy? You I'm good? happy. I'm very happy. Good. I'm always happy. Just high five. Yeah. One more. There we can hear it. Yeah, very nice. Hi everybody, this is Wolfman Jack from Beyond the Grave saying thanks for listening and long days and pleasant nights. That's right, baby.